0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity and Business Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a brilliant investment banker, uh, business person, investor, David McCombie. David will tell us about himself, the McCombie Group, his background, um, and and a lot more. David, can you take a moment and and tell us about yourself and about the McCombie Group? and, And thank you for joining us
1: sure thank you um so i uh i'm a reformed attorney uh i formed a group almost 14 years ago and we're focused on improving growing and selling middle market businesses and i'm also the author of the upcoming book the uh, selling your business with confidence the uh, playbook for mid-market owners
0: and talk about that what is what how do you define mid-market how did you transition from practicing law for consulting, I see at one point in your in your background as well, uh, to ultimately investment banking. And, and did you ever practice law? or Did you go right into business?
1: So interestingly, uh, I'm licensed, uh, but I never actually practiced law. I worked for McKinsey and Company straight out of law school. And um, I did do some investment banking prior to that, but um, it's a little bit more serendipitous in terms of how I ended up, you know, forming this. I started more as an investor. Most people go from investment banking to private equity. I went the opposite direction. And um, it was primarily because as a Valley investor, I felt that, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Um and uh you know, quite frankly, my business has really taken off when I, you know, shifted more towards uh, you know, the 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 sell side. You know, in terms of how you define, you know, the middle market, you probably have, you know, ask 10 people and you've got 10 different opinions. You know, we think about it as uh businesses that are, you know, bigger than mom and pop. They're you know real businesses, they have you know enough infrastructure that they're probably larger than just the 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 founder and entrepreneur. Um, You know, I personally define it as 10 million to about a billion of revenue. But you know, if you if you look through the uh, investment criteria of lots of different private equity funds, they they set their thresholds, you know, all across the, you know, all across the board.
0: Thank you. And what are there specific industries that you're focused on or more generalist? How do you approach the market? How do you approach what you look at?
1: Yeah, so we are a generalist, but, you know, we're based in South Florida and, and really over 50% of our work is in healthcare care services. Um, you know, South Florida really has, has been an epicenter of innovation in particularly the Medicare Advantage market. And so you see a tremendous number of, um, you know, both uh, primary care practice groups that have come out of here, but as well, a lot of different specialty practice groups that end up becoming platforms for a lot of private equity funds. You know, what we find, you know, from a from an industry standpoint, you know, I I personally uh, was born and raised here in Miami, Uh, it is was important to me to be able to be a a part of the community. And so being deep within the community, but industry agnostic was something that I found was a much better fit for, for me and, uh, you know, my, you know, life, you know, lifestyle.
0: No, 100%. And more on the practice platform provider side or also technology that sells into healthcare providers, where do you spend, where do you see yourself, what's keeping you active today? What's most interesting today?
1: So right now, um, we've got four different uh, healthcare service businesses, you know, in the market. We've got a home health agency. We have a specialty physician group actually in the cardiovascular space. And we have two different, um, you know, primary care physician, you know, groups. So kind of across the board, um, all of them right now are on the clinical side. We have done, you know, a decent amount of work of, um, you know, uh, technology to the healthcare world um, and other ancillary services. What we don't do is is stuff in the life sciences. You know, the reality is that the, uh, the level of kind of science and all that is really above my... Um, my capabilities, and so we stick to the core knitting of of stuff that we feel we can deliver, you know, excellence to our clients with.
0: And, and let me ask you, so the cardiovascular space, the primary care space, will will health systems be bidders for any of that, or will it all be will it all be platforms already? Will these be bolt-ons or platforms for private equity funds? What does the market look like, and who you sell into? What are multiples look like today? Is is the market healthy? We're seeing some. Lower multiples in some areas, not so much in others. But what what do you see out there in terms of multiples and who the who the pool of buyers looks like?
1: So great question. Um, we've never seen a health system be competitive. Almost always, uh, they feel like it should be an honor to um, to sell to them just at at uh, the asset value. And so the the valuations are. You know, dramatically different. Probably five x between um, a strategic and generally a private equity backed strategic that's consolidating, and um, and what you would see from the the health system. So, the health systems at, at this point are very effective at recruiting and kind of aqua hiring. You know, getting a practice that's small and marginal, and they want a better lifestyle, and so for them, they may make a little bit better cash flow within the organization and probably have a little bit better lifestyle not doing the administrative tasks um but any anything of scale outside of that we have have never seen them be competitive and and quite frankly we've never really observed in the market anybody else going to them in terms of the the broader you know market environment um you know we all know about the the interest rate environment which i think is is stabilizing and there's hopes that it'll you know continue to go down um, I do think though that um the healthcare services segment is probably relative to the other industries that we serve um, been hit harder on the multiples front. Um, and it's because I think of two things. One, um, you know, the 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 changes in the Medicare Advantage reimbursement um, you know program, particularly around risk adjustments, have 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 really reduced significantly the um PMPM that that a lot of these um, value based groups are, are receiving. And so I think that trickles down um, you know, throughout the, um, the system, not just amongst primary care groups, but amongst lots of specialties that ultimately are gonna receive their money from the same you know, pot of money. I think the second is quite frankly, just a, a, a broader concern. You know, One of the few things that Republicans and Democrats really can agree upon is that they're not very comfortable with private equity in healthcare. Um, and it seems like every day, whether it's a congressional hearing or, um, you know, with regards to your know, Times article or Atlantic or whatever it is, um, you know, the articles are not, you know, very favorable. And so I think that that kind of regulatory uh, uncertainty and overlay is having um, an impact on on um, buyers and, and their appetite, particularly amongst private equity groups that are industry uh, um, generalists, right? You, you know, there's a lot of groups that may do a lot of healthcare work but they do other things and so you see a lot of them shifting away to, um, from healthcare the ones that are industry specialists and and only do healthcare you know i think that um you know you're seeing them uh you know continue continue along but um i do think that the overall environment is 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 shifting particularly relative to you know 2021 and and you know what we saw just a couple years ago
0: No, 100 percent. And so the demonization of private equity in D.C., at the end of the day, yes, private equity, like, for example, in the Stewart Healthcare situation, over leveraged a moderate margin business. So that was a mistake. But demonizing private equity is, is 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 kind of ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, it's fun for politicians, but I mean, so many pensions funds, so many endowment funds, so many investors are in private equity. And it's just the capital. It's a capital source. Not bad or good. Do you have a perspective on that?
1: I mean, I agree with you. You know, people always, um, you know, I'll have some clients say, "I don't want to sell to private equity," and it's like, well, let's unpack that, right? And you know, there's some bad actors out there, and there's some great actors out there, right? And so, um, just the the same as you know, saying, "Well, I want to sell to a family office." You've got the full spectrum of 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 you know types of people and their character and and all that. So, I think you need to look at each one individually, but. There, there is no doubt that kind of the general public, the way that they're exposed to it in the media, um, it's, it, it, it's not, um, you know, not, not favorable. And you know, interestingly, what you're seeing in, in some of the healthcare environments, that you see, is particularly in the veterinary space, is um, they're not publicizing that private equity owns it. Um, you know, they're making it very opaque. They're not putting it on their website as a portfolio company. Um, and I think you know that's one of the you know the tactics that some of the the investors in in the space are are, are trying to use to minimize you know some of the um, backlash, but you know there is the Corporate Transparency Act that came through this year, and so I do think that um, you know that the, the the level of attention is probably only going to um, to stay the same or or increase as you know as we go forward. In terms of deals that you're
0: looking at or bringing to market, how active is the family office portion of that in terms of looking at investing? What's that breakdown versus, you know, private equity funds looking at buying a platform, private equity funds using one of the sponsored companies for a bolt-on versus a family office being in the hunt? What what do you see out there?
1: So, you know, most people describe um a family office as the Goldilocks buyer. And for some people it could be, you know, perfect. The reality though is that family offices, with the exception of a handful that are basically institutional funds, like you know, MSD MSD, which is Michael Dell Shop, or there's a handful of others, um, you know, are 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 generally a marginal buyer. The the challenge, particularly as a as an investment banker, in the space and you know I have discussions with some of my colleagues in other firms about this all the time is um you know for every family office that actually makes investments there's probably you know 19 that like to talk about making investments but don't right and they're generally not well equipped to be able to be competitive on the timeline you know kind of the 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 shot clock that's normally associated with a transaction right
0: but your point is so well taken, though. your, your point is so well taken, Ms. most family offices are building a portfolio, but they're not in the constant business that private equity funds are of buying and selling companies and growing companies and setting up boards and. I mean as, your point is very well taken. There's very few that are really that equipped in that large scale that have built out the teams to really do this in, in, a, in a really substantial basis. We, we've talked to people that have family offices of 500 to a billion. And they just can't really do this at the scale and 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 pace that well funded private equity funds can and well staffed private equity funds can, they just can't do it. And there's not that many, you know, there's four hundred, seven hundred billionaires in the country. There's just not that many private equity family offices that have the size and scale to do this well. Is is that a fair statement?
1: Absolutely. I would say that um, you know, in terms of being able to actually systematically do private equity deals in the U.S., my best guess is that there's probably no more than 50, Um, you know, and and there's probably a universe of a thousand family offices that exist. But, you know, the other factor which a lot of people don't realize, you know, I get clients all the time that say, I want to sell to a family office. They hear about it, but, and and this is is purely anecdotal, but, you know, based upon my experience and a lot of the other um, folks that I talk with, in general, there's about a 15 to 25% Uh, discount on valuation from family offices when, when, you know, you run a process has been my experience, right? So there's certain situations where somebody really cares about uh, legacy and the dynamics and all of that. And, and a family office could be that best, you know, source and family offices in some segments may be the only potential buyer, right? There's certain industries like, you know, certain types of distributors or franchises where approval is required and private equities can't get approval. Right. But, you know, by and large, because they tend not to use a lot of debt relative to, you know, their institutional counterparts, you tend to see, um, you know, materially lower valuations. Um, And, you know, ultimately, I personally think that um, the way and the way I advise my clients is, you know, let's go out to a little bit of each of the different categories. And you get a feel for not just the, the price that's being put on the table, but also, what are the other um intangibles that that you can then choose from right and there's no right or wrong answer right you know some people um you know choose to go down the esop route and that is not because of the, it's the best economics but it's because they have other factors and 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 things that they want to accomplish with a transaction like rewarding you know key um you know key employees so it's um it 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 definitely is a, a relevant buyer where i do see um, family offices being you know, much more relevant is in the smaller segment, particularly in growth capital. You do see a, fl- a lot of people, and whether you call them family offices or not, ultra high net worth individuals who may have sold out from that industry tend to be excellent providers of growth capital or minority investment for companies that are subscale. They already know the playbook. Um, quite frankly, there's not a lot of institutional capital that's available for that. And so you do see, for example, in the in healthcare space here in South Florida, you know, there's three or four guys each made half a billion to a billion, through different uh, you know healthcare services exits, and you know they're out deploying and and using their relationships and capital to help, um, you know, do the private equity playbook with with uh, younger younger groups in the in the community.
0: So Yeah, so I've got a few different questions that sort of roll from that. And I'll ask you, Dr. Chen, Chris Chen and his team, are they one of those big investors that do some of the smaller deals in South Florida who've just done fantastically well in ChenMed and also serve on the board at University of Miami Med School and so forth You run into the Chen family doing those kinds of deals?
1: So I'm not um, privy to the specifics that the that the Chen's are, are are doing. Most of them that that I've seen tend to be people that have exited the business or not currently operators. But you know, from their vantage point, they don't want to retire. They have a lot of know how. They have a lot of relationships, and you know, for for themselves, they can generate substantially above market returns than what they could get, you know, just being passive in a in a portfolio.
0: Yes, because they really know the business. They really know the area. I think that's really well stated. I'll ask you a very sensitive question, and, and you don't have to answer this, David, if you're not comfortable answering it. So I'm going to give you two different Harvard Law School classes, and you'll tell me which is the better class, okay? And this is sensitive, And if it's too complex for you, don't answer. The class of 2007 or the class of 1989, which is the better class at Harvard Law School?
1: Without a doubt, two thousand and seven. We had our first, the first ice skating rink, uh, installed, uh, during our during our tenure. So, I think I'm going to go with two thousand seven. Yeah.
0: So that's clearly the winner. Then, um, you know, you, you, we had Anthony Scaramucci, Rod Rosenstein, Barack Obama a couple of years after us, and so forth. So there's there's at least some argument that there's an interesting contrast, and so forth. Uh, David, I'll ask you another another question, a real question. Um, who? What was your favorite class at Harvard Law School? Do you have a favorite class or favorite professor or anybody that you particularly enjoy taking from? Uh,
1: you know, it's funny. The, I don't know if you had David Rosenberg, but uh, he was our property professor. And um, in a lot of ways, uh, he was the most uh, atypical professor that I've ever had. He he didn't teach a single case, um, but he did reframe a lot of things. He challenged a lot of things uh, that, that we took as as assumptions. And, um i think was was one of the most fun classes that that i had I, I don't know if he was around when when you were there
0: i i'm not sure there was a different rosenberg mort rosenberg who was a tort professor who was a famous famous tort professor but i don't remember it, david rosenberg in property. i didn't have him at least if he was there and so forth tell us I, I, one last question what are you most excited about and focused on this year when you get up in the morning this year what 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 drives you what are you most excited about looking at and doing
1: so for for me, um there's just tremendous opportunity here in, in the market. So it's really around scaling my organization. Um, we have a lot of demographic tailwinds. You know you think about um the reason why healthcare, everybody's excited is the the baby boomers retiring? Well, that's the same factor that drives m and a, right? And so, you know, some markets are better than others, and we um we definitely have had a much harder time in terms of Uh, the selling environment today than than we had a couple of years ago, but the pipeline is significantly greater than, than it was. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of backlog of, of retirees. So we're excited to talk with them and excited to help them, you know, achieve full value for their, their life's work.
0: David, what a pleasure to visit with you today on the Becker private equity podcast. What what a complete pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. We'll get this out next week, but really a pleasure to visit with you.
1: Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. and Enjoy your weekend.